Hello and welcome to Top, the Open Podcast Podcast. Your hosts, Matthias and Wolfgang, will guide you through the ecosystem and the tools and services which make podcasting work. And they'll talk about their open source platform for podcast analytics. Let's dive right in. Welcome to a new episode in the world of podcasts, but today we won't talk about podcasts. We will dive a bit deeper in our stack and we will discuss hosting and how to self-host our open podcast platform. If you think about all the technology that you use, how much of it is under your control? How much of it do you run yourself? And how often do you trust other people to run your infrastructure? Was that a question To me or to our audience? Just that I know if I should answer. It was more of an opener, an open line, something that gets people thinking, provocative. Yeah, I'm already thinking. It's still a lot. Looking at all the services that I use, I would say the percentage I run myself is in a low single-digit numbers or something. It's not a lot. Why not? Because self-hosting has this mystery around it. Some people say it's tedious to run a self-hosted version of something. You have to take care of the infrastructure. You have to maintain the projects and so on. And you also have to read documentation. And that can keep you from doing the first step of running something yourself. For me, it's quite similar, I would say. I also try to get rid of a lot of self-hosted projects because it just takes time to maintain a project but i always prefer open source software that i could self-host at least so i started for example with nextcloud or back in the days it was own cloud that's a cloud platform that you can self-host but after some time after i found out that it's quite time consuming to host and maintain this self-hosted version i switched to a hosted offer But it's still the same open source tool, but somebody else takes care of the hosting and I pay this person and I'm happily pay this person because they do a lot of work and I have time for other stuff. So that's the ideal solution for me to have an open source software, but, but they are hosted offers that I can also use. And then it's my decision what I want to do, self-hosting or cloud hosting. That's pretty interesting because I always saw you as someone that is a big proponent of self-hosted solutions and your position makes total sense to me because even if you could, doesn't mean you should always self-host something. And the advantage that when someone else does that is that they can specialize on doing a very good job and maybe they have special purpose scripts or routines or they know the software better than you because it's their day job. And you get a better service and in return, they get some sort of compensation for it. And and it's my choice, right? If I run a company, for example, and it's a super important part of my company, then I want to self-host it. And then I have dedicated people working just on this hosting part. So that's fine. But for me as a private person, for example, I prefer that I can just pay somebody else to do the hosting and I get a reliable and secure hosted version of this tool. But another advantage is that I can try it out first. I can use the community version, for example, of this open source tool and just spin up a new stack in Docker, for example, and try it out. And if I see and I find out, okay, that's a really cool solution for me, I can have a look, are there any hosters that offer a hosted version of this software? One thing I'd like to do is 
to try and self-host something just to break it and just to find out how brittle it is and how the components fit together. And if I find a situation where I cannot solve a problem myself, then I know maybe I shouldn't be self-hosting this thing. But then I know a little bit more about how it works. And to tear it apart is really interesting and can be fun as well. And I think that's also the reason why we decided to have a self-hosted guide for our open podcast platform so that everybody is able to host it. But in the future, we will also offer kind of a hosted version, a cloud version for customers who don't want to host their own stack. Okay, but to take a step back, maybe to clarify what self-hosting even is, it is a way to take a piece of software and run it on your own servers that you have full control of. And I think it's also important that it's simple to run. It's not just that you're able to run it in theory if you have all the knowledge of the creators, but it's very simple, for example, to spin up a Docker or something like that. It should be as easy as possible because otherwise it's just possible in theory and in practice you're not able to do it because you would have to read tons of documentation if there is the documentation or you need a you need a deep knowledge of this software to even just try it out so when we talk about the self-hosted version it's an easy way to spin up your own stack to try it out to run your own open podcast platform and that and that you don't have to be a specialist in this field the simplest self-hosted solution is just one command and it will run forever that would be the ideal scenario you have zero knowledge you go to your terminal or you have a one-click app that you install and then it runs forever you don't have to take care of updates of maintenance of availability it just works now in practice that's not always the case and it's also not the case for open podcast because Our service consists of multiple smaller services that have to talk to each other. But I think we are getting close to this point with the whole containerized world with Docker and, and everything around that. And in theory, to try it out, at least, it's more or less one line. It's a Docker Compose. You spin up a stack and then you can immediately use it. So it's getting closer to this point where you just have one line to run it forever. And it's a perfect opportunity to start with this right now because... We are looking for early adopters that can report issues and provide feedback. And we look for people that run a podcast and want to support this platform and want to see it grow. Now, I guess we should dive into how you can set it up yourself and what the sort of design constraints we had building such a hosted solution. I think most people are familiar with the concept of containers and running containers in Docker, for example. And that was also our approach. So that we have pre-built images that you can just run on your own machine. What containers do we have, by the way? So we split up our platform into several containers because we have different responsibilities in our platform. And maybe even not everyone needs all the different features of our platform. For example, to connect to Apple, to connect to Spotify, to do the analysis, the database is in its own container so that you have the flexibility. You could also exchange containers, for example. If you want to run a different database, you can use our stack and bring in your own database, for example. So you can really mix and match and decide what you want to run on your own machine. Okay, but hold on. Let's say I had 10 minutes out of my busy day and I wanted to support this project. What would I do and what would be the most minimal setup that would provide value to me? 
So I think the simplest setup that you can do is a database and the API so that you can store data, you can receive data, and you can also run some queries on the database. But that would mean I'd have zero input, I'd have zero exports from Spotify or Apple, right? Exactly. But then you can decide what you want to do, what you want to collect, for example. Import data from Apple, you can import data from Spotify, which is more complicated. But you could also just use the API, for example, for our feedback feature so that you can get feedback from your listeners in your podcasts and you just add this link to the podcast show notes for the thumbs up and thumbs down votings and you already get back some feedback from your listeners and this feedback tool is then also sending data into our database and you can run some analytics on that. And of course, I still need a database. But that's in the stack, so that's completely fine. If you just use our stack, we also provide the default setup for a MySQL database. So this MySQL database then runs in the stack and is already there. So you don't have to bring your own database or do anything with a database. You don't have to be a database specialist. You can just use our stack and it's built in and everything runs out of the box. And then what about persistence of data inside of the database? Is that taken care of or do I have to do anything special like mount a volume to keep the data separate from the container? That's also done automatically, but of course, if you run it on your local notebook, for example, you're not publicly available, you don't have the IP that is accessible from the internet, so you have to host it somewhere. And if you do that, then of course, you have to take care that it's stored somewhere, that it's not just a cloud instance that will lose all the data in case of a failure of the cloud instance, for example. One thing that we tried to do was to split between stateful and stateless services. Stateless services are containers, for example, that have no information that gets lost if a container gets removed or crashes. And a stateful container is the opposite. And usually you can mount volumes or mount data into containers. And even if the container goes down, the data is still there. And we tried to apply this practice to all of our containers and services throughout the stack. And another thing that we tried to focus on was to make onboarding awesome. There are a couple of things that we learned from other services, mistakes mostly, that we want to avoid on how to onboard someone onto your stack. Because those people, they are taking a bet on you. They are your first supporters. And sometimes they decide over the faith of the project and they set the mood of the community. So you want to make sure that they feel welcome and they have everything they need in order to succeed with your product. And it's also crucial to get feedback from those people because for us, everything is clear. And sometimes it's tricky to really write a good guide for new users because you no longer have this fresh mind. You, you can't start from scratch. You know all the details already. So it's super important to get this feedback from these first users and have also a good relationship with them. So there were a number of things that we tried to get right from the beginning um, in order to support that. And a few things that we wanted to mention were good documentation. So what is a good documentation for you? What does it mean? When I look at a project, I usually ask two questions. What do I have to do and why do I have to do it? If you only answer what I have to do, I wonder if I'm wasting my time because... I might as well just try some other project. There are millions of other projects to try out. My time is very limited. But if you tell me why I need something or how it can improve my life, 
then I'm listening. Do you have an example for that? There's a forwarder component in our stack and it's not immediately clear what it does. That's the proxy between a podcast platform and your RSS feed. And it measures real-time information from your users and audio access. But you have to explain it in one or two sentences so that everyone understands what it's for and why it's useful for your stack. Or if not, I guess it's also important that you know, okay, I don't need it for my test setup, for example. Once you explain it, you can decide if you want to skip that part or not. And then you clearly find out that some stuff is optional and some stuff is really mandatory or vital. And that's a good example for an optional component. Maybe you don't need it. That's correct. But if you just explain what to do, then you will set it up and you will have to maintain it, which is very time-consuming, and you will never use it. So really, documentation is at Open Podcast's core. And that's why we also open source the documentation, of course, because we hope that people give us feedback and maybe even create a pull request if they find a typo or some better way to explain something. So besides documentation, what, what else is important for making this onboarding experience and a really good one and awesome one? In a lot of open source projects, especially the ones that are open core, you will find that a self-hosted solution is not a first-class citizen. It's almost an afterthought. So you go and you try to set something up, but it doesn't really work because it's out of sync with what the platform providers use internally. The open source version is always one step behind what is internal. That's also why we use the stack definition that you can use for, for self-hosting the, the platform. That's the same what we also use internally. Of course, we add some additional things because we run it in a Swarm cluster, for example. But the main part of the Docker Compose file is exactly the same as what you can download. And even if the initial version is in sync and you run the exact same thing as we do on a hosted platform, doesn't mean it's always going to be like that because we will update our stack. And the question is, what is our updating story for instances out there that people self-host? How do they go about migrating their SQL schemas? And we think that containers help a lot here. You can version containers uh, just like you do for different libraries. And we try to be explicit about the versions we use in our stack so that you can update them. You can also update the parts individually. If there are components that have interdependencies, then we try to make it very clear in our update guides moving on so that you are aware that you have to update two containers at the same time. Same for migrations. We are big fans of PlanetScale because they have this concept of deploy requests where you see a schema change immediately and then you can accept it and it becomes an atomic part, an atomic change in your database. I honestly don't know if such a concept exists outside of PlanetScale. We have to think about solutions here, but it would be really nice to model it after PlanetScale. The easiest I can think of right now would be to provide a migrator image that connects to your database, updates the schema. But as we said at the beginning, the most important part is to get feedback from you. So please try it out. Just run the command to spin up your own stack. We also have the link in the show notes to the GitHub repo with all the information how to spin it up. Open source is not a one-way road. Try to get engaged if you want to see open source solutions flourish 
and succeed. We really depend on feedback from people like you. Yes, you. So go ahead and get involved. Look into the instances that we run or the services that we maintain. And if you find anything that you would like to have improved, please don't hesitate to open an issue. We really mean it. We are in this together. And thanks a lot for giving us your attention today. We wish you a great week. And hopefully next week we can report about the tons of issues and feedback that we have received. <laughs> Just positive feedback. See ya. Bye.